Well, most of you know, uh, not all of you, that uh, my wife and I actually have four children, specifically four sons, which makes her a saint. Uh, one of them is married with our very first grandchild, Sabrina. We call her Bree. Uh, we are expecting a couple of engagements uh, probably over the next several months, fairly soon. And then we have one that honestly he just started dating again after a pretty painful breakup a couple years ago. Uh, I'm curious, for those of you in the room, how many of you have children who specifically are not dating, engaged, or married? So how many of you in the room have kids in the room? Okay, yeah, especially those of you with babies, right? So, uh, okay, so how many of you hope that there will be children in your future someday? Okay, so most of the room is represented here. So, uh, As you think about that, here's my next question. If your current child or your future child should someday get married, uh, what are some words, what are some words or phrases you would hope describe your child's future marriage relationship? Like, I I genuinely mean that. What are some words, like, I really want your responses. Like, what are some words or phrases of that you would say, this is what I hope that they're experiencing in their relationship? Say what? Communication, kindness, Hmm? giving, teamwork, like their daddy, oh, very good. What? God-filled? Brazilians, is that what you said? Okay. Or just, oh, resilience. <laughs> like, like, I know we have multicultural church. So I just like, just like, <laughs> resilience. <laughs> Anybody else? Love. So in preparing for this morning, I did some online research using search phrases like top characteristics of a happy marriage or top 10 keys to a successful marriage, things like that. And after spending some time researching, I found descriptors or versions of descriptors that just continually showed up. And adding a couple of my own, there are 20. And before I show them to you, I want you to think of your children who are not yet married, uh, whether they're babies or teens or adults now. And I know, especially if they're little, like it's hard to imagine them married, especially like if it's a daughter, like, yeah, no. She can date when she's 90. Uh, no, I, I, I get this, but just get the picture in your mind. They're adults, they're married, and I want you to imagine how you would feel if these 20 descriptors all describe the marriage and family experience of your child in the future. I'm going to bring that up. So, prevailing faith in God, and for some of you that may or may not be important. For a lot of you, you believe in God and you believe in afterlife. Uh, Unconditional sacrificial love. Intimacy, sexual and non-sexual. I get, you say your kids, like, uh, no. They're going to be adults. Unwavering commitment to spouse and family. Prompt forgiveness. Deep friendship. Speedy conflict resolution. Laugh together. Regular, open conversation and communication in love. Mutual respect. Rock-solid trust. Demonstrated affection. Recreational or fun companionship, compromise, empathy, regular support and encouragement of one another, honesty, mutual trust, appreciation, compassion. I mean, look at this list and just imagine 
if this was your, what your child, adult child's marriage looked and felt and sounded like, how happy would you be? Like, again, as a dad, like I, I would be beyond happy, and, and so would you. So this begs the following question that, again, is primarily for those who are married right now, is does this list reflect your marriage? This marriage, the one that you hope for your children, is your marriage and relationship reflected in these descriptors? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Now, we have some who are part of this community who are are divorced, and, and I know that a series like this, questions like this, can be painful. I just want you to know that I know that you went into marriage dreaming of this kind of relationship, but that dream did not come true, and I'm sorry. So maybe for you, it's if, if I could go back and do it all over again. And for those of you who are married with children or you dream of children in the future, to what lengths are you willing to go to cause your marriage to become the kind that you would want for your kids, for the next generation? This question is especially for those of you who consider yourselves a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Because as we learned in our last series, Christian is too vague of a term. For those of you who are Jesus followers, are you choosing to do now whatever it takes to build a marriage legacy worth passing on? Because one way or another, you are going to pass on a legacy. You have to decide, though, what do I want that to look like? Do I want it to be a legacy of love and trust and intimacy and vulnerability and fun? Or do I want it to be one of dysfunction and distance and distrust and just sticking it out at best? And I just have to believe by choosing to be in the room, like for those of you, it wasn't just about chili and getting like, that you, you're not just interested in settling for a marriage that you're in now or a marriage in the future. I have to believe that you want your children someday to have an amazing marriage should they marry, but wanting and hoping are not enough. You have to show them the way. And you may be experiencing what seems like insurmountable differences and challenges, but you know what? As unique as that might make you feel, you're not that unique. Your kids, the next generation, they are going to face seemingly insurmountable differences and challenges, just like you. And as we continue to talk about this, let me clarify the win. So that I so very much hope for each and every one of you who are married or who will get married someday, that you, you would experience a kind of marriage where other couples come to you and they say, wow, like we don't know how you do it, but we want what you have. We want our marriage to be like yours. Or for those of you who have or will have children, that like here's a real tangible one, that you will get to experience what I was so humbled to experience not long ago when my adult son and I were talking about our family and he paused and he looked me in the eye and he said, Dad, when I'm married, I want our marriage to look just like yours. And then to have my son and my future daughter-in-law ask me to officiate their wedding. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? Honestly, especially during high school and right after, I just kind of assumed that he assumed that his mom and I didn't have a clue about anything. But apparently they were watching. And as I prepared for this morning and put together that list, here's, what help, here's something that hit me that overwhelmed me. And it caused me to sit back from my keyboard and pause and just thank God. Because it hit me. Now 34 years in, 
At this particular moment, all 20 descriptors represent mine and my wife's relationship today, which makes it miraculous. Because there were seasons, especially in the first half of not more of our marriage, where we didn't know if we were going to make it another day, let alone a lifetime. There were times I wanted to light her on fire. There were times she wanted, me to, she wanted to smother me in my sleep, but she didn't want to have to cook for herself, so she let me live. There were periods of which of that list of 20, only two represented our relationship. Two that we never let go of. A prevailing faith in God and an unwavering commitment to one another and family. But holding on to these two sometimes by nothing more than the tips of our fingernails. I'm just telling you, God showed up. It was a journey. It was a journey with lots of missteps along the way, but with the help of God, trusted friends, mentors, great licensed professional counselors, and being deeply involved in our church community, what we arrived at is not perfection because we're not. But it's pretty wonderful. And if you're married, or your marriage is in the future, here's what I want you to hear. If in this season of your relationship, maybe you feel a little overwhelmed, maybe a little defeated, or even a little hopeless because you feel like your relationship is a miss on several, if not many, or most of that list, I just want you to hear, don't give up. I'm telling you, if two complete opposites, like Shauna and I, who both came into marriage with truckloads of dysfunction and baggage, if we can experience it, I believe with God's help, you can experience it as well. It's why we're doing this series, to help you. So we started last week, and we introduced the idea that when we get married, we all naturally walk down the aisle with hopes, dreams, desires, and dreams. Hopes, dreams, and desires. And we walk up the aisle, and uh, as we said last week, you know, we, we think about, we hope, have dreams and desires about money and how that's going to be handled. We have dreams about, like, our career and, like, what kind of education and what kind of job and what's our career path going to look like. We think about, you know, vacations. Is it like Disney World or is it like camping and hiking? Yes. Uh, we imagine what, you know, intimacy is going to look like in our relationship. Uh, men, you know, we just imagine what our wife will never wear to bed, like, because that covers way too much. You know, we just, you know, we have hopes and dreams and desires about all these different things. Uh, we dream that, you know, we, we're going to start out in an apartment, but then we'll move to, we'll start renting a house, or maybe we'll get a house, or maybe in 2023, unless you're like over 50, you can never afford a house, whatever it is. But, but somewhere between I do, or maybe it's uh, the end of the honeymoon, or a few months, or a few years in, we don't, something happens that we don't do on purpose. These very legitimate hopes, dreams, and desires, they migrate from the category of a desire, and they migrate over and they become expectations in our relationship. All these legitimate things, and it's like, I, you know, I know, we, I know we talked about these things, and, uh, you know, we dreamed about these things, but, you know, now, uh, when? Like, when's it going to happen? 
Like, you know, remember how, you know, we talked about at some point, we, you know, we were going to do more, we were going to upgrade, and, you know, when, when's that going to happen? And you know, honey, how we talked about, you know, we're never wearing stuff like this to bed, and, 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 and you do now, and all this, and, oh, and, you know, and we, we, we talked about, you know, starting a family, and, you know, and, and you know, maybe, maybe there's enough children in the world, you know, or could, you know, maybe another five years, or like, hey, we need to start now, or just so you know, I actually quit taking the pill six months ago, surprise, uh, you know, and we don't know how this happens, but in every marriage, Without ever meaning to, we end up just dumping all of our hopes, dreams, and desires on our spouse, and they end up starting to feel like expectations. And tragically, the dynamic of your marriage changes. The whole relationship changes. Because now it's all about trying to predict and meet expectations, and you find yourselves in a debt-debtor relationship with your spouse. Like, you owe me. Like, I need to get my desires fulfilled. You're my wife. This is what wives do. Or when you said I do, you took on the role of a husband. And this is just something that husbands do. And I'm expecting you to do this or do that or be this way or be that way as a husband, as a wife. In other words, you owe it to me to fill in the blank. And the debt-debtor marriage begins to erode any romance, any intimacy. And what started off as a joyful covenant becomes a contractual obligation. And you find yourselves locked into this tension that feels impossible to solve. And there may be good times, but in the end, you just become two big eyes trying to battle it out to make sure that everything is fair. So we said last week, imagine, imagine a marriage where everything could somehow be removed from the expectations box. And ultimately, all these things just move back in here And then for the rest of the marriage, they stay here and being in that kind of relationship. And where you have a marriage where it now becomes this fun thing of trying to discover what's in your spouse's hopes, dreams, and desires box and begin to make it a challenge of, I'm going to try and fulfill as many of those as I can in our relationship and life together. And I'm just telling you from experience It is an awesome way to do marriage. But the ability to do that hinges on your answer to a very important question that I introduced last week. And the question is, what do you believe your spouse owes you? Because your answer to that question will tell you what's in this box. And what's in there sets you up for disappointment and frustration rather than fulfillment in your marriage. You see, the answer to how you empty this box and keep it all in here will cause some of you to push back and argue with me, and and that's okay. Because the answer to the question of what my spouse owes me is nothing. They owe you nothing. Especially if you're a Jesus follower, a disciple, I must conclude that my wife, my husband, they owe me nothing. And especially if you grew up in church, you've been, you know, read enough of the Bible, I get the pushback, you go, okay, actually, the Bible says that husbands should do such and such, and a wife should do such and such. But in the series we just finished, we learned that in a Christian marriage, that's where you use the Bible to try and control the other person's behavior. A Christian marriage is where you try to apply verses that don't apply to you to someone else. It's just an I marriage with a cross hanging around its neck. Disciples don't use the Bible as a club. They use the Bible as a mirror. 
And maybe you're not a Christian or a Jesus follower or whatever you want to label it. And, and, that's, and if that's you, I'm just so glad that you're here, that you're listening. But here's the deal. You can try to go figure it out on your own if you want to, but I'm telling you the only way to empty this box and to keep it all in here is to decide that your spouse owes you nothing. Now, where do I get this? If you have a Bible or a Bible app and want to follow along, we're just going to look at five verses. We'll have them on the screens as well. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 25. And in these verses is a concept found throughout the Bible. It is the key to avoiding an eye marriage between two people, and that is to invite in a third party. And they become the directing, driving, and defining force in the marriage, and it changes everything. In Ephesians 5, verse 21, Paul, he's writing to a group of fairly new Jesus followers. He's trying to help them understand how to apply the love and the teachings of Jesus to marriage. And Paul gives an introductory statement in this discussion of marriage. He says a word we don't like, submit. (laughs) Submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. And the word submit simply means that when it comes down to my hopes, dreams, desires, and your hopes and dreams and desires, I'm going to place yours above mine. Paul says, I want you to submit. I want you to place yourself under the other person out of reverence. Reverence means like, oh, like we all know what reverence is. He says, I want you to submit yourself out of reverence and awe, not for each other, but out of reverence for Christ. For your Savior, Jesus, who came to earth, died for your sins, paid for them, who submitted, who submitted for your sake, who don't miss it, even though you didn't deserve it. In light of what he's done for you, I want you to show reverence and respect and submit to your spouse. I'm just telling you, this is a powerful, powerful concept. It means, God, I'm just so grateful for what you've done for me. You forgave me. You forgive my sins. I'm just not as bad of a jerk as I used to be. Uh, you know, you've changed me. You've changed my friends. And, and you've, just, you've given me things that I don't deserve. You've changed some of my habits. And you give me exactly what I don't deserve, grace and mercy So what can I do to show you how grateful I am to you? God's reply is, I'm just so glad you asked. Here's what you can do. I want you to take all that passion and gratitude and energy, and I want you to just take all that, what you have on the inside towards me, and I want you to shower it outwardly on your wife. I want you to take all that passion and gratitude and all that energy that you have on the inside towards me, and I want you to shower it outwardly down on your husband. Okay, God, this is about you and me, okay? You did something for me. I want to express my gratitude and thanksgiving back to you. God says, I heard you. I know. If you mean it, here's what I want you to do. I want to take all that energy, passion, emotion, gratitude, channel it right there on that individual that I've brought into your life your wife, your husband. Okay, is there anything else? Could I just give like 15% of my income? Could I do another Bible study? Come on, what does she have to do with this? Like, do we have to bring him into it, God? God says, yeah. See, I want you to submit to her, submit to him, which means put them first, not because they've earned it or deserve it. I want you to put them first, Chad, because I put you first. 
I want you to put them first because I put you first. Do for him, do for her what I have done for you. Take this debt-free relationship that we have. Remember, remember how I canceled all that debt, all your sin. You don't owe me anything. Oh yeah, God, that's, that's like the best part. That I don't have to earn my way or perform my way. That you just showed me amazing, unconditional, sacrificial love when I didn't deserve it. You canceled all my debt when I didn't deserve it. God says, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. I want you to apply that to your marriage. Just as I have decided and I have declared, you don't owe me anything, I want you to declare to your wife that she doesn't owe you anything, that your husband, he doesn't owe you anything. Submit out of reverence for me towards them. And then he gets specific. A verse that in certain circles has been abused and misused over centuries. Verse 22, wives, because he's talking about marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands because they are awesome. Submit to your husbands because they've earned it. Submit because they're worthy of submitting to, because they can be trusted with your submission. Because they're big, strong, smart. Submit to your husbands because they'll never take advantage of your submission. No, he's consistent. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Like, what? Yeah, you know how you're submitted to me? Yeah, but God, you're God, okay? And Jesus, he was awesome. So, you know, it's a lot easier to submit. You're perfect. He's perfect. You've shown me perfect love. It is easier to submit to you. I mean, you've forgiven me. I'm just so grateful. But him... Have you paid attention to him? Have you been taking notes? Like, yeah, but he, hold on, it's not about he. I want you out of reverence for me to love him the way that I love you. And then he goes on, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as they deserve to be loved. No, that's not what he says. He is consistent. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and because sometimes we men can be a little slow, don't know what that looks like, and gave himself up for her. See, men, this isn't about how lovable she is in your eyes. It's not what she in your eyes has earned or deserved. God says you're to take all this passion and love and gratitude and devotion towards me, and I want you to channel it towards, reminder, my daughter, your wife, and here's specifically how I want you to do it. I want you to be willing to lay down your life for her because I laid my life down for you. And as men, and if you know enough of the Bible just to be dangerous, okay, God, have you read the Proverbs, God? So, like, there's this one that says, like, an endless dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are alike. Or, uh, you know, better to live in the desert with a difficult wife. I mean, God, I mean, she complains all the time. Sex is almost non-existent. I think all she cares about is the kids. I mean, we can't get on the same page about most things. She doesn't deserve. God's like, this isn't about what you think she deserves, Because 2,000 years ago, I decided I would lay down my life, my schedule, my priorities, what was most precious to me on your behalf, not because you deserved it, because you didn't, because I love you, and I've demonstrated this kind of love. Now go, lay down your life for your wife. It is the best demonstration of gratitude that you can ever show me. Because as a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian, 
If you define yourself just as a Christian, you can conduct your marriage in the shadow of a big I. But if you are a Jesus follower, a disciple, you conduct your marriage in the shadow of a cross. And God says, if you want to pour out your gratitude, then you go home and you channel all of that good intention towards me right into the life, the heart, the soul, the spirit of that man, of that woman. Whether you think they deserve it or not, because that's exactly what I did for you. In other words, God wanted Shauna, my wife, to know his physical, tangible, in her presence love so much that he put me there to be a channel, an instrument of his love towards her. And the way she's going to feel and experience God's love the best is not through a worship song or a verse she reads in the Bible or a Bible study. It's supposed to be through me as her husband. And as I learn to lay down my life for her when I think she deserves it or when she doesn't, that's a tangible picture of how much God loves her. And God has allowed me to be a reflection of his love towards her in a physical, tangible, touchable, there with you in a present kind of way. And he loves me so much. He said, Chad, I want you to know physically, tangibly, touch it, feel it, hear it, love you so much that I'm going to put in your life a woman way out of your league. And her responsibility is to reflect my love to you that you might experience on earth my love for you. And Chad, I want you to get a glimpse of my love for you through you choosing to continually lay your life down for her, even when, quite honestly, she's not being very lovable. See, Sean and I are both quite open. There have been many times where one or both of us, and unfortunately sometimes still are, completely unlovable. But we've had seasons like that where we just had, we faced moments of decisions, a decision whether or not to stay committed to one another, even though there was nothing in us that wanted to. No thing. But it has been in those moments that we have best seen and glimpsed God's love for us. A love that says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That even when I am unlovable, totally, God loves me. That God will not ever, ever, not ever abandon me. It's an incredible transcendent kind of love. And it's these, these difficult to love moments that we have to pause long enough to remind ourselves when our spouse is being difficult to love, we have to remind ourselves how many times have I turned my back on God's love, God's way, God's desires? And how many times have I been unlovable to God and yet he continues to love me, and he will remain faithful no matter what I do or don't do. And that's why he designed marriage the way he did. God says, I want them to know how much I love them, and you are my number one tool. And some of us guys, we are tools. And, and the men, we are God's number one tool and method in demonstrating his love for our wives. And wives, you are to be God's number one tool and method for, in demonstrating his love to your husbands. And I get it. That's a huge responsibility. And sometimes it's very difficult. But to turn it around, wouldn't you like to be the recipient of that kind of unconditional love? The recipient of being married to somebody? It's just like they're constantly paying attention to what's in your hopes, dreams, and desires box. And it's like they're just trying to make those come true. 
And I get the pushback. I've heard all the stories, all the arguments, all the rationales. You might say, Chad, great. Great. You and Chad are, you and Sean are happy. Yay for you. But you don't know my husband. See, I got to kind of keep him on a tight leash. Like, because you don't know my husband. See, if I don't keep him on a tight leash, I mean, you should have seen what he was like before I got a hold of him had a chance to work on him a little bit. I mean, he was a mess, okay? Uh, I mean, there was so much work to be done, but see, I saw the potential, and I thought, I can fix that. I mean, there's potential. I have helped him. Honey, come over. Have I not helped you? Tell. I have helped him. And Chad, you know, you, you don't know my wife. Like, if I start to let go of compromise and control and the defense mechanisms I put into play if, place, if I can't continue to remind her what a good, good wife should do and be, honestly, I'm afraid that if I drop this, if I empty this box, I'm afraid that fill in the blank. Let me just say, and this is huge, you know what you call it when you control somebody's behavior by putting them on a short or long leash and control their behavior by shortening or lengthening the leash? Parenting. If you're married, you didn't say, I do, to get a third parent, and neither did your spouse. And, and if you get in this dynamic with your husband, with your wife, you will never, not ever, experience unconditional, joyful, fulfilling love because you can't express it and you can't even recognize it. Because in this kind of relationship, when they're doing something good, it's because you kind of let them. You know, like I set the bar, and they jumped up, and they actually reached that bar, and so maybe I throw them a treat or something, you know, but they're not feeling a lot of love. I mean, they're just meeting expectations, you know, but you can't see it. It's like, okay, so honey, you were so good last month, you know, so there you go. You can have a little more. Like, you got home by 6.30, you know, you just didn't come home too late. So if you want 6.45 next week is okay, but you start coming home a little later at the end, we're going to we're gonna have to have a conversation. You know, as long as you're good and uh, honey or babe, boy, you, babe, you just, you, you really had the house picked up and cleaned up and everything, and so maybe you have a little time for yourself. I mean, you've just done so good, but you start leaving stuff out again. We're going to have to have a conversation. And I'm just telling you, this will work for a while. But this isn't what you signed up for. And this isn't what God intended. Besides, let's just be honest, like me, each of you have enough of your own personality quirks and personal dysfunctions to deal with of your own. A slight paraphrase of the words of Jesus is, why do you look at the speck in your wife's eye and not pay attention to the plank in your own? Why do you look at the speck in your husband's eye all the while that there's a plank in your own? First remove the plank from your own eye. And here's something important to know, something huge that determines how easy it's going to be for you to let go of this. And that is your past experience when it comes to marriage, especially the marriage in your family of origin, the kind of home you grew up in. I mean, your husband starts to exhibit a little bit of behavior like your dad, and you get all tensed up, and, and you kind of react, and he's like, what, what's happening? It's just like, I don't know, that just kind of freaked me out. When you did that, said that, it just kind of reminded me, I brought back memories of my dad, and he's going, well, I'm not your dad, but I'm starting to feel like it. 
Or as soon as she does that kind of thing, kind of reminds you of your mom, just kind of like I yank on that leash a little bit, and like, we've got to control things, we can't let things get out of hand. And she's going, what? All I said was, and you know, some years ago, we were out to visit Shauna's family, and she heard her mom say something to her husband in a certain way, and Shauna looked at me and said, if I ever do that, you have permission to call me out. To which I responded, I will not, unless I have it in writing. You know, something said or done, it just kind of brings up all this stuff. You didn't even know it was there. And instinctually, you just feel like, you know, I got to stay in control. And you can do that if you want. You can just wrap this thing around your wrist tight and just try to try and try and try to control and guide and manipulate. And all I'm saying is that's not a marriage. And it's not what God had in mind. You'll never experience what God designed you to experience until you drop this, until you empty that, and you decide, you know what, you don't owe me anything, and you're free to choose to do with that freedom what you want. From now on, that's between you and God. I'm just the person that God put in your life to reflect his unconditional love for you. What you do with that is up to you, and I'll stand before God and say, God, I just did my best. I was just so grateful to you that I just loved her. I was just so grateful for you. I just loved him. I just did my best to love him like you loved me. And listen, we're almost done. There are no guarantees. This is not a formula. This isn't going to be, well, Sunday I had the sermon, had a little chili. Tuesday I applied it. And then Thursday, woo, honeymoon is back. Or, you know, he's a new man. She's a new woman. By letting go, there is no guarantee that this will work out exactly as you hope. But, This is your only hope for God to impact the relationship and bring about change. This is your only hope to ever experience what you so desperately long for and need. There's a person I've been investing in for a few years. They're not a Jesus follower. They've never stepped foot into new life. I'm just saying that so you don't begin to kind of look around like, okay, who is this? Uh, But they've made up their mind at this point that once their youngest graduates and leaves home, they're filing for divorce and they plan to upgrade because they're convinced that will make them happy. But the problem is, what their plan really is, is to take this entire box and go dump it on someone else. And it's never going to work. So they will have chosen to ruin every future special event that involves their children. Graduations, birthdays, holidays, weddings, grandchildren, all because they refuse to let go of having a spouse that realizes they owe them happiness. And knowing this person as I do, I give the replacement three, five years at the most. It's a bad trade. But I get it. I get feeling afraid. And if you're afraid to let go, it's because I'm afraid I'm going to feel alone and unloved the rest of my life, or I don't want to be abandoned, or I don't want my world to fall apart, or I don't want to miss out. I'm afraid they won't change if I don't keep reminding them, I, I, I. In an effort to preserve big capital I, you lose your chance of ever experiencing what God wants you to experience, which is unconditional, what's in your desire box kind of love. Some of you might say, okay, Chad, fine. Let's say I get it all back in the desires box. Do I just pretend that it isn't there? Do I just say that I don't have any needs, that I don't have any desires? And the answer to that important question 
is what we're going to talk about next Sunday. But until then, here's the decision that you've got to make. To decide and declare, you don't owe me anything. I'm just going to love you whether you love me back or not. I'm just going to take all my gratitude for what God has done for me and to the best of my ability, I'm going to channel it towards you and I'm going to leave the outcome in the hands of my capable Heavenly Father. This is your only hope. This is not easy. But this is just God's design. And when we are willing to trust and follow the principles of God, it's an invitation for Him to get involved. And like me, I'm telling you, you want Him involved in your marriage. And the best way to get Him involved is simple. Approach it the way that He's asked you to approach it. See, average couples, they're not willing to put in the time, the effort, and the sacrifice. And they end up missing out on something they could, that could have or would have been amazing because they try to take control and make it happen and it's big eye or they just completely back off and settle or I'm going to make it happen. But I believe you're not average because you're here and you're listening and you're still awake. Because there are some of us who have maybe gone before you who at times, again, it was by the tips of our fingernails. We held on to God, held tightly to trusting Him and His way, that His ways are always the best way and the only way to experience what the Apostle Paul wrote about when he says that to experience immeasurably more than we all we could ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. And again, imagine what being loved like this would do for you. The healing the joy, the fulfillment. Besides, for those of us that are wired to just try to make things happen, how well has that worked out so far? Let me ask. So maybe it's time to truly try things God's way and to give Him a chance to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine, and for certain, far more than you can ever accomplish on your own. Let me pray for us. Father, I just, I'm so grateful for, I'm so grateful for you, not just for how you've shown up in my own life, but Father, just countless other couples that I know that you have shown up for. But Father, I pray for everyone that's in this room or listening. I pray for those that, God, that, that first marriage didn't work out, and I pray that you would bring healing and restoration to their heart and their mind, that you would help them to overcome that ripping apart. Father, for those of us who are married or marriages in our future, Father, Genesis 2, it just guarantees there's going to be problems, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be tension. But on this side of the cross, Father, I pray, Father, that you would do something extraordinary. And that, Father, for everyone, again, listening to me that's married, they're going to be married, that, Father, that you would create in that relationship something that their children will want to replicate, something that will bless their grandchildren. And for those that don't have children, that still they will look to these couples as role models, as having a type of marriage that they want for themselves. But Father, we, we can't do it in our own power. We just can't. So I thank you for these words, but we need your Holy Spirit to work with us. Jesus said you would send the helper. He called in the Holy Spirit. We pray for that, Father, for every one of us, that you would fill us that, with that spirit. I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.